people have become more aware of brand names over the last few years, partly because of social media. And now many individuals think if they file an application for a mark or a slogan, they think if they file first, they can own that phrase. Well, that's just not the case. Welcome to IP Talk with Wolf Greenfield. Today we're joined by John Welch, Trademark and Copyright Counsel at Wolf Greenfield. John has represented clients in scores of patent, trademark, and copyright lawsuits across the country. He specializes particularly in cases before the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board. In fact, John speaks and writes frequently regarding that tribunal. And his blog, the TTAB blog, is highly popular with the trademark community. John, let's start right there. With regard to the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board, what does the board do? Well, the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board is an administrative body or tribunal within the Department of Commerce and it deals with the issue of the registration of trademarks or service marks. Registration of trademarks is important to trademark owners and to attorneys because it's important to properly enforcing and protecting and expanding the rights in a brand name. The decisions of the board are closely watched by trademark practitioners because the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board's decisions sort of set the parameters on what can be registered. The board basically handles two types of cases. It handles appeals from the trademark office refusals to register. In other words, if you file an application and the patent and trademark office refuses registration for one reason or another, you can appeal that decision to the trademark trial and appeal board. The board will apply the law and interpret the law and decide whether the examiner was correct or not. The other type of case that the board handles involves two parties called an inter-parties proceeding either a trademark opposition to an application to register or a cancellation proceeding trying to cancel a registration that's already issued. The board has no power to stop anyone from using a trademark, so its jurisdiction is quite limited. It can only decide on the issue of registrability. If someone wants to stop another party from using a trademark, they would have to go to court and get a court order and joining the use of the mark. John, if the board has limited jurisdiction, then why do parties bring their cases to the board instead of federal court? Well, there's several reasons. One, it's less expensive than a lawsuit. It's easier to win at the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board for the main reason being the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board takes a very narrow look at the issues and looks only at the mark itself and the identification of goods or services in the application or registration, as opposed to a court, which will look at not only the mark and the application or registration, but also the packaging, the website, the manner of of sales and marketing. So the court will take into account a lot more factors than the board will. The board has a very narrow scope. And as I say, it's an easier place to succeed than the trademark office. And also the board provides a place to plant the flag. If you're concerned with somebody else's mark, you can inexpensively seek to cancel their registration or oppose their application and thereby stake your claim and get some negotiations going and see if you can resolve the issue before you have to go to litigation. And the third reason is sometimes the use of the mark in commerce in the marketplace isn't really that much of a problem. So you don't really want to spend a lot of time and money. Maybe the sales are minimal. Maybe the market isn't really that close. But by proceeding in the trademark office, you can at least keep the trademark register clean and make it appear that your mark is strong on the trademark register. That's in a nutshell what the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board does. You took the time to review the TTAB's Freedom of Information page and found a 91% affirmance rate for likelihood of confusion cases and an 88% rate in mere descriptiveness cases. How do those numbers for 2020 compare to past years and why are the rates so high? 
Well, actually, they've been quite consistent over the past eight or nine years that I've been making this calculation. Roughly, as a rule of thumb, 90% of the refusals that are appealed to the board are affirmed by the board. Why is the number so high? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. One, it doesn't cost very much to file an appeal. The uh, filing fee was only $100, although it's gone up recently to $200. And preparation of the brief on appeal doesn't usually take that much time because you've pretty much already made your arguments before the examiner and you've already written them out. So you pretty much can take your prior arguments and cut and paste them into a brief. So it doesn't cost a lot to get an appeal going and get the brief on file. I think the other factor is if an attorney has told his client that he thinks he can get this registered and then he finds out the examiner says, no, I think it's human nature to say, well, the examiner's wrong. I think we should appeal. And so they go ahead and appeal. John, are there TTAB trends that you're watching here in 2021? Oh, I think uh, the probably the main trend that's been going on for the last year is the failure to function refusal. The year before, it was genericness refusals, and those are kind of two sides of the same coin. The trademark office and the TTAB in particular have been very hard on applications to register common language, common memes. And I think the other factor is that people have become more aware of brand names over the last few years, partly because of social media. And now uh, many individuals think if they file an application for a mark or a slogan, like a recent case was for the mark, God bless the USA. They think if they file first, they can own that phrase. Well, that's just not the case. Also, the filing fees are pretty low if you file the application yourself. In other words, an individual can go online and file the application and fill out the form without using an attorney, without too much trouble. It makes it that much easier for people to think that if they rush to the trademark office and get an application on file for some clever phrase or some new word they just coined, somehow they can own that word. And it's just not the case. So I think that's part of the reason why some of these cases come down the pike. They get to the trademark trial and appeal board and the board shoots them down or the examiner shoots them down and the board affirms. Why the increase in failure to function cases? Like I say, I think people think by filing an application, they can own the phrase and stop others from using it. And it's just not the case. The board takes a very dim view of those things. It looks at whether the proposed mark or phrase will be perceived by the public as a trademark. And often if it's just a phrase, a slogan on a t-shirt, I mean, it's pretty easy to argue that you're not going to think that's a trademark. You're going to think that's an ornamentation on the t-shirt. So a lot of the cases have to do with ornamentation that just won't be perceived as trademarks. A lot of the cases have to do with common phrases that people pick up off the internet. For instance, when the bombing took place in Boston during the marathon, there was a rush, like 20 applications were filed in a week for Boston Strong because obviously that was a popular slogan at the time and everybody and their brother rushed to the trademark office and tried to register it for this and that, coffee and t-shirts and you name it. And they don't get very far because the examiners will knock them out. Are there any interesting cases on the horizon? There's a couple of cases that are pretty interesting. There's a case involving former President Trump uh, involving the mark Trump Too Small, which was refused registration by the examiner and affirmed by the TTAB on the ground that President Trump did not consent to the registration. The statute says you can't register the name of someone, a living individual, without that person's consent. And the fellow who filed the application, who happens to be an attorney, has appealed the board's decision to this Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit, arguing that that's unconstitutional. It's a violation of free speech. You should be able to comment on a sitting president. And so it's an interesting constitutional issue regarding freedom of speech and whether that portion of the statute 
is unconstitutional as applied in this situation. Now, the Supreme Court has knocked out two provisions of the trademark statute in the last couple of years. One was the disparagement clause and the other was the scandalous provision. So there's been two recent First Amendment related cases at the Supreme Court that knocked holes in the trademark statute. So this may be the third one remains to be seen. There's another interesting case out of the Ninth Circuit that's going up, may go to the Supreme Court, involving a dog chew toy that parodies the Johnny Walker liquor bottle. And the Ninth Circuit decided that was not a trademark infringement or a dilution of the trademark because it was a fair use that the dog toy was basically an artistic work. And it's a fair use to use somebody else's trademark in an artistic work. If that's the case, that really opens the door to parodying many trademarks and many products. So that case may go to the Supreme Court. And that's an interesting one to watch. As far as watching cases at the TTAB, it, it's a lot harder to do. Usually they first come to light when the board makes a decision or lower court makes a decision. And then, then the hubbub starts. What's going to happen to the TTAB is harder because nobody pays attention to every refusal and every appeal that's filed until the decision is made. Once the decision is made, then you can see if that's going to be a an important case or not. So it's not so easy to, to watch cases at the TTAB as it is to watch watch them as they go up from the district court to the courts of appeal. Congress just passed a new trademark bill. What significant changes have been made? I think probably the most significant is the restoration or validation of the presumption of irreparable harm when you bring a trademark infringement claim. The law used to be that once you charge somebody with infringement, the court would presume that because you have a trademark, you would be irreparably harmed by an infringement because it, it might affect your reputation. If your reputation is harmed, that could be irreparable. When somebody ruins your reputation, it's pretty hard to recover it. The law changed uh, about 10 years ago on the patent side, and many courts applied that to the trademark side saying, wait a second, we're not going to presume anything. You have to show that this infringement would damage you somehow monetarily. And a lot of trademark attorneys weren't too happy with that because often it's hard to prove damages from a trademark infringement. It's hard to prove direct lost sales, for instance. So the courts were split across the country. So this new uh, statutory provision will restore the presumption. So that's, that's important for trademark litigators. The other things in the statute mainly are aimed at, without doubt, the flood of trademark applications from China, which are often bogus often contain phony specimens of use, and they have been flooding the trademark office in the last few years. The new provisions allow a quicker way to challenge a registration or a pending application if they look like they're bogus. So for example, before this new statute, one would have to wait for the application to be published or the registration to issue, and then you could file an opposition or a cancellation proceeding. But that's relatively expensive and takes a long time for those things to get going. Whereas these new procedures allow you to preemptively go back to the trademark office or to the board and ask them to take a look at this application for just this one issue of non-use or fake specimens and get a quick review of the application or registration and hopefully block them earlier than you can now. So those were really designed, I think, by the Patent and Trademark Office to deal with, as I say, this flood of phony applications coming out of China. China actually has instigated or caused this problem by offering bonuses to companies in China if they can get a U.S. registration. These Chinese companies actually make a profit if they can get U.S. registration. They get their money back with a little on top of it. So 
they have an incentive to file these applications. Some of the uh, specimens of use are just obviously fake. I mean, there are websites you can go to and create fake hang tags and create fake clothing items with your brand on it and cut and paste your brand on it. And there you have a phony specimen or a phony hang tag. That happens quite a bit. Those are the two most important things in the new Trademark Modernization Act. Finally, John, I have to ask you about the TTAB blog. You started writing back in 2004 before blogging was popular. Here it is 17 years later, and it is uh, quite a blog with quite a wide readership. Tell us about the experience getting started and what it's like for you today. Well, it's been a gradual building up of the blog because when I started, nobody knew what blogs were, <laughs> let alone read them, you know. So I happened to contact a guy in Boston who wrote for Mass Lawyers Weekly, and I forget his name, but he wrote a column about legal technology. And I asked him, you know, what's the easiest way to start a blog? And he said, well, go to Blogger. It's the website. It's now owned by Google, but it was called Blogger. And you go on and within five minutes, I had a blog going and I had, you know, you pick the title, you pick the colors, bang, there it is. So then a friend of mine, a fellow who got to be a good friend of mine, Marty Schwimmer, had a blog in New York and I had been commenting on his blog and asking him questions. And he said, why don't you get your own blog? So that's what I did. But it took a long time to build up because initially no one really knew what blogs were or paid attention to them. But gradually people started reading it. People tell me all the time they read it. And a lot of people get it in their firm and then pass it along to everybody else. So I can't really tell how many readers I have. And I was told recently that in training new examiners, they are told to read my blog every day. So that's kind of good. You know, it's satisfying to me. I like doing it. I like writing. I like rearranging things. I make like making stupid jokes. And it's good. It gives me something to do. I have a degree in engineering as my undergraduate degree. And one of the things about engineering school, you have homework every night. So this is like my homework every night. <clears throat> I know I have to do a blog post. So I kind of rearrange my schedule. If I know I'm going out during the week, I try to do two in one day. And I try to do two on Sunday just to give me a break during the week. And if I don't do one, you know, it just hangs around my neck. And I'm, I wake up in the middle of the night thinking, I got to do that in the morning. Before I started the blog, I've, I've been doing something similar for Allen's Trademark Digest, which is a publication that tries to summarize the decisions every month from the board. I would pick like 10 cases, then really condense them down into like 15 lines. So I've been doing that for like five years. So I knew how to pick interesting cases and cut them down. For instance, today I, I look for a case I'm going to do tomorrow and I try to get the links in and the pictures in during the day. And then at night I'll write the summary. So it's always in the back of my mind what I have to do next. I can't remember what I did last week, but I'm always thinking about what I'm going to do tomorrow. Our thanks to John Welch for sharing his thoughts with us here on IP Talk with Wolf Greenfield. We hope you'll subscribe to this series of conversations related to IP matters on Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information on legal matters related to intellectual property, we invite you to visit the website www.wolfgreenfield.com. Thanks for joining us on this edition of IP Talk with Wolf Greenfield.